Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, during this time of social and physical distancing, Sakpal believes it's important to keep the to keep engaged with the public on issues of the day. And in order to do so, we are very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald. Today, we have a speaker, Marco Luciano. Marco is the current director of Migrant Alberta. He was a student activist and a union organizer and educator before he moved to Alberta in 2013. Welcome to Alberta. Um, he was also a co-founder to the Canada-wide Alliance Migrate, Migrate Canada. Um, thank you very much for jo joining us today and I look forward to hearing your talk and we all do. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, Annelies, and um, uh, thanks to uh, the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs for the invitation to this um, online session. Um, this is an exciting times for us. Um, uh, again, my name is uh, Marco Luciano. I'm the director of Migrante Alberta, and I'm residing in Edmonton. Uh, I'm also acknowledging that I'm living in the First Nations land of Treaty 6. And um, yeah, just to talk a little bit about Migrante Alberta. Um, Migrante is a migrants advocacy organization um, in Edmonton. Um, we're also based in Red Deer and Calgary. Um, and we're part of a national alliance in Canada called Migrante uh, Canada, you know, which is uh, uh, an, uh, an alliance, a national formation that have um, approximately 12 member organizations um, and aside from that, uh, Migrante is also part of Migrante International, which is uh, based in the Philippines. I'm a Filipino myself, um, and we we deal with a lot of uh, migrants, uh, migrant workers uh, globally. Um, one of which is, of course, Canada, and we do a lot of work with migrant workers. Those uh, specifically under the uh, Temporary Foreign Worker Program, uh, the undocumented migrants and immigrants as well, and. Um, I asked to talk about, um, uh, uh, you know, temporary foreign work during this time of COVID-19, um, you know, uh, these times of global pandemic. Uh, just a note, though, that I am, I, you know, I would sometimes interchange the term TFW or temporary foreign worker with migrant worker. So that's just to take a note. And I guess I could start with the TFWP or the temporary foreign worker program. Uh, next slide, please. Um, I'm not sure if most of you know, uh, but just a brief understanding on the TFWP, the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, is a federal immigration program uh, that recruits workers from other countries to fill in the so-called um, labor needs of Canada. You know? um, it generally have three streams, um, the caregiver program, uh, or formerly known as the uh, live-in caregiver program, or LCP. Uh, they take care of children, the elderly and the sick. Um, there's also the, uh, the temporary uh, foreign worker program, low wage, low skill uh, project, uh, and the agricultural seasonal uh, seasonal agricultural workers program, or or SOP, um, as many people um, call it. Um, so the caregiver program is, uh, like I said, it takes care of children, the elderly and the sick, uh, and they have access to permanent residency. The caregiver program also has its roots since uh, the 1900s, you know, um, 
the European domestics, um, the women from England, Ireland, and, and Finland um, came to Canada as nannies, housemaids, or governesses. Um, but they are immediately and automatically given permanent residency upon arrival to Canada. Now, uh, by 1955, the program changed. It was called the Caribbean Domestic Scheme. You know, the Caribbean women from Jamaica and the Caribbean islands were recruited to come to Canada. Um, but um, a limited number of caregivers uh, under the program are given the ability to apply for permanent residency after one year working as in, in, in domestic work. However, um, women are subjected to frequent pregnancy tests at that time, uh, and they're paid less compared to their European counterparts. By 19, 1981, um, these, the program evolved, you know, the government changed the program uh, to be called Foreign Domestic Movement, you know, where caregivers, they still face exclusionary policies uh, and endure workplace abuse, but uh, it was a time where caregivers were granted the right to apply for permanent residency after working in Canada for uh, over 24 months. Um, the, this program continues to evolve. By 1992, uh, you know, uh, the live-in caregiver program, or LCP, uh, was introduced. You know, um, it's pretty much the same kind of program, except that they added on the live-in requirement and and become more restrictive. So the caregiver now have to um, live in their employers' homes. You know, um, that could be accessed 24/7. Uh, however, in, just in 2014, um, uh, then um, uh, Federal Minister, Immigration Minister Alexander, and of course the uh, EDLC Minister uh, Jason Kenney, uh, at that time the federal government, started uh, holding closed-door consultations uh, to eliminate the caregiver's right to apply for permanent residency you know, at that time. Um, <clears throat> Of course, there there is a movement that build up on it, and uh, by 2016, uh, after Justin Trudeau was elected, he made changes to the caregiver program and made it uh, made a, a faster pathway to permanent residency, um, while restricting also and putting the cap to uh, the whole um, uh, program. No? Uh, the next, the next program would be the, the TFWP uh, low skilled. Uh, it was a pilot project, right? Um, uh, there, you know, in the service sector and low wage industry, you'll find these workers in fast foods, in hotels, meat and fish processing plants, you know, vegetable and packing, etc. You know, the temporary foreign worker program. You know, that project was initially created in 1973. You know, it was the uh, to facilitate uh, the so-called economic growth uh, in Canada by responding to the labor shortage labor shortages at the time. Uh, initially, it's a skilled worker program where um, it was initiated by the father of Justin Trudeau, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, at that time. You know, um, you know and and then in in 2002, um, they opened up. The, uh, the temporary foreign worker program project to low-skilled, quote-unquote, low-skilled uh, workers. And that, you know, by 2006, this program have tripled. There are many, many um, uh, migrant workers that, that come to Canada. And Alberta has to become a destination uh, for these migrant workers. So uh, migrants in Alberta bloated. Uh, it's, they came to provide services, you know, to the workers in the oil industry. So you'll find them in... Um, 
in hotels in Fort McMurray, uh, in Edmonton, um, in, in restaurants and so on and so forth to provide um, support to uh, oil workers. Um, and also, um, um, the, uh, uh, the next one is the, uh, the SOP or the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program. You know, um, it was introduced way back in 1966. You know, so um, it was, uh, there was an agreement um, uh, with Jamaica um, to recruit workers to work in farms. These, but these workers uh, cannot generally apply for permanent residency. So they work in big farms, you know, corporate farms. Um, they work in uh, family-owned farms, you know. Um, they come in in March and they leave in October. You know, they just arrive actually in Canada um, yeah, recently um, in April because of the of the of the lockdown. They're not able to come in immediately. You know? uh, and this cycle have been going on for the last 54 years. So they come and go. Um, they never um, they never stayed um, in Canada, or they're not allowed to stay in Canada. And uh, migrant workers. Uh, you know, in, in this COVID times, migrant workers, agricultural workers were prevented from coming to Canada during the early stage of COVID. So around April, uh, they were locked out. Um, they're not allowed to come. Um, by April, they start coming in slowly. Um, but when they were let in, there were no concrete policy on how farm work should be operate, how, how it should operate, except being told to social distance themselves, right? Uh, and it was it was in the farms in BC where uh, one of the the first outbreak was reported. Um, so if you look at it, the the whole temporary foreign worker program um, is it, really um, the migrants that came through that program is integral to Canada's food chain. You now, the uh, migrants plant our food, they prepare our protein, sell it in groceries or serve in restaurants. There are also migrants even in in uh, the, the food delivery business. No? So um, uh, migrants are, are very integral to, to Canadians and Canada's food security. Next slide, please. Um, so people ask, wh why, you know, why do migrants leave, right? Um, uh, the UN calls it, you know, the drivers of migration or the root causes of migration, right? Um, there are many, many reasons why, um, why, why people leave. And the common reason is, of course, the socioeconomic conditions of country of origin, um, such as poverty, unemployment, you know, underemployment, you know, um, uh, political situations as well, you know, like wars, occupations, political unrest create refugees and displacement. Um, a concrete example in, from my country, um, where I came from, is um, Canadian Minings. You know? uh, Canadian Mining Corporation displaced a lot of people in, in rural areas of the Philippines. And um, um, many of those uh, rural uh, areas are um, ancestral lands you know? um, that, uh, that being displaced by Canadian Mining Corporations. Where would they go? They would try to go to urban centers uh, like Manila. Uh, but since the Philippines have no industry where they can absorb a workforce, there's no other place to go but abroad. You know, they try to work abroad. Um, of course, in the last 20 years as well, um, there are more climate-induced migration due to climate change, right? Um, it's either drought that creates, uh, you know, untillable lands and, or hunger, um, or, you know, rising sea levels at coastal regions that, that create displacement. Um, you know, uh, there's in the last 10 years, there's unprecedented natural calamities 
that's happening uh, globally, you know. Um, and of course, here in Canada, we feel it in terms of uh, winter seasons or or heat waves. Um, and the graph uh, in your screen uh, show uh, the 2019 UN report, you know, uh, that there's approximately uh, 272 million migrants globally now uh, that are moving around. Um, and 74% of those are, are working age uh, people. Uh, one common thing in this era, though, is an era of uh, neoliberal globalization. You know, migration for majority of people is not a choice. And I want to make that point. It's not a choice. People are forced to migrate because of these conditions. You know? And I'll, I'll give you, um, next slide, please. I'll give you a little, uh, some concrete, you know, case study, you know, um, uh, like the Philippines where I came from. It's close to me and um, it's, it's where I, I, my family is our, still are. Uh, Philippines, as a migrant sending government, you know, have mastered the uh, system, systematized migration, like many other governments. Um, it, it, but Philippines have been doing that since the 70s, you know. Um, they've been sending people um, in, in Saudi Arabia during the oil boom in the 70s, um, you know, and so on. Um, so for the Philippine government, migration is a matter of government policy. You know, they call it the LEP or the live or the labor export policy. You know? It turns Filipinos into commodity, like like any product that they export export abroad. LEP also is uh, uh, the the Philippine government's employment and anti-poverty strategy, because of uh, high unemployment back home, the Philippine government becomes a broker that sends its people to work abroad. Canada is a favorite destination, as it, uh, you know, it, it, it was brokered as one of the few countries that provide pathways to permanent residency. Um, LEP is also um, an anti-subversion strategy, you know, sending people abroad uh, prevents social unrest. Um, with high unemployment rate and extreme poverty, people will definitely rebel. And, and lastly, it is an income generation for, for, for the government. Migrants send dollar remittances to their families, creating huge dollar reserves. Next slide, please. Um, so, you know, um, currently there are approximately, you know, uh, 10 to 12 percent of, of the population of the Philippines, which is 103 million, uh, that are uh, living and working abroad. You know, um, there's over 6,000 Filipinos that leave the country every day. You know? So, you know, if you get a chance to go to the Philippines, you'll see the airport. It's, it's structured in a way to support this uh, migrant workers leaving the country. You know? um, the Philippines is the largest exporter of domestic workers in the Asia Pacific, uh, in the Middle East, and of course, caregivers here in Canada. And um, it, the, the, the labor export policy is specifically designed to systematize this migration. You know? Um, on the other hand, though, the Filipino migrants um, send approximately 23 to $30 billion per year you know, to their families back home. Um, um, we're the third largest in migrant group that send money to their countries next to India and, and, um, and China. You know. For Filipinos uh, in Canada alone, um, um, we send here from Canada you know, 1.2 billion U.S. dollars per year. So aside from uh, aside from that, the Philippine government also collect money, approximately seven hundred fifty dollars per migrant worker, um, and that's amount to one point six billion dollars per year to be able to go 
outside the Philippines and work abroad. So they collect money from migrant workers in order for them to leave the country. Um, in, in essence, like everybody really makes money out of a migrant worker. You know? Agencies at home, uh, sending governments, travel agencies, loan sharks, you know, where you know, a lot of migrants borrow money uh, to be able to pay in order for them to leave the country. Um, local brokers and immigration consultants here in Canada. And of course, the Canadian government starts charging a lot of money in order to process papers. Uh, migration has become a business for uh, Philippines and in many sending countries. Oh. Next slide, please. Um, of course, you know, when they come to Canada, um, uh, there are many issues that's attached to their work. You know, some of the common issues are um, lack of labor mobility, you know, um, or their visas tied to one employer. And then that's a problem um, generally because it, it uh, the, the, the work, the worker becomes um, uh, subservient to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to the employer. You know, um, a, a concrete example is that that's one of the issues in, in the meat plants now. In Cargill and JBS, you know, there are migrant workers that that works there, and um, uh, they have been recruiting migrant workers uh, to work in their facilities. And uh, migrant workers are pressured to go back to work, you know, uh, in the workplace that is at the epicenter of COVID in Alberta, right? Um, and uh, of course, they are afraid to go to work uh, because of uh, the situation. Because you know, in Cargill, for example, there are uh, now three deaths, you know, um, you know, in in the workplace and in the community, you know, um, that's related to uh, to the plant. Um, at the same time, these workers are also afraid uh, to lose their jobs because for them, losing their job means deportation. You know? uh, the fact that their um, visa is tied to their employer, uh, it's hard for them to say no uh, to go to work, you know. Um, so those are the hard choices that that many migrants um, in car, you know, in the meat plants are 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 faced now. Um, uh, w one other example are caregivers. You know, um, their visa is tied to their employer and they live in their employer's home, so it's really hard for them to um, uh, file a complaint you know, um, and and uh, go against the wishes of of their employer. Their they are um, working 24 seven, um, you know, while the labor um, standard um, have, you know, have uh, uh, defined work hours. Um, anytime, you know, the child that they're taking care of knock on their doors, they open, right? And they play with them, you know, thus taking care of them, right? Um, their employer, you know, anytime they wanted to go out and watch a movie, they could easily knock on their door and say, you know what, can you take care of the kids? Uh, we're just watching a movie. Um, so they're, they're tied, you know, to their, to their employer and, and many of them cannot say no. Um, migrant workers also are indentured workforce, right? Um, migrant workers um, experience abuse at the hands of third party recruiters. You know, um, many of them are guys as immigration consultants, um, you know, in Canada um, and pay thousands and thousands of dollars for for various applications or assistance throughout uh, the process. Um, it's illegal practice in Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Nova Scotia, but in Alberta, 
many still got away with it. And they're paying approximately, you know, from five to $20,000 to recruiters and brokers. Um, there's, they're also faced with cultural isolation. Um, since they're indentured, um, you, know, to the, you know, to the employers, you know, many of them can't leave their workplace. Um, they, they lack government access to government bodies, you know. Um, um, and not only that, you know, they, like I mentioned earlier, their fear to seek assistance um, uh, is, is uh, they don't want to aggravate the relationship with their employers because their visa is tied to their employer. Um, lack of access to permanent residency, um, um, long family separation. We know all the sad stories. I'm not going to go through it. Um, being separated from their child. Um, there are stories where, um, you know, um, a migrant mom will take care of other people's babies while they leave their baby behind, right, uh, for long periods of time. Um, and, of course, um, racism and discrimination, you know, um, are, are very, uh, it's heightened. You know, when the crisis uh, hits, you know, it's the migrants that are usually uh, people of color, minorities, are the scapegoat of this crisis. Um, we experienced that during the economic downturn in 2016 until last year where migrants are being blamed for stealing Alberta jobs, right? Um, now, of course, uh, COVID comes. Um, um, we hear, you know, even from, um, you know, the first reaction of um, the, uh, you know, the, the lead physician, the lead doctor, um, Dr. Henshaw, um, in the news, uh, you know, saying that uh, workers in Cargill live together and carpool, which is the source of the so-called, um, you know, COVID in the meat plant. And it created a, a lot of backlash in the community. And, and I think you, you've read the news, right? Um, um, next slide, please. Um, you know, uh, so aside from that, Canada relies heavily on, on temporary workers. They've been doing that for the last hundred years. Um, they provide workforce to jobs that Canadians don't take. You know, um, they cheap and disposable um, uh, workforce. Uh, so Canada had become a revolving door for for migrant workers. Um, and the uh, Alberta Federation of Labor, for example, have tracked the use of TFW program, and they show that the program um, does not re really respond to the labor gap, but instead uh, they were used to drive down wages. You know, they used to pit workers against um, uh, workers. You know, um, so. Um, um, uh, going to the, the, our, our, our campaign, um, can you go to the next slide, please? Um, the many, you know, many of, of these um, migrant workers, when they try to apply for permanent res residency, have fallen to the cracks. Um, many of them have made this hard decision to stay um, um, and just work here, um, even way below minimum wage. Um, uh, and so, um, you know, uh, staying in Canada without uh, 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 status means that you also lose your um, your uh, ID, uh, your your um, uh, access to public services. You know, um, and it, of course, in times of pandemic, it is uh, they're mostly uh, the vulnerable ones. You know, they they they, they lost their jobs before everyone did. Um, they can access uh, the emergency relief benefits, um, and and of course, you know, they they, they do not have a valid um, Alberta health card. That means they cannot access healthcare as well, and and that's a problem uh, for uh, for us in times of COVID because for for a migrant worker who's un undocumented, not only they're fearful of coming out 
and being identified as an undocumented worker and being deported back home, they would just stay at home, you know, and Google, you know, cure, right? Um, um, and if they put not only their lives at risk, but they put their neighbors at risk, they put our communities at risk. Um, so since then, we, we have called um, the, um, the, Canadian uh, the Canadian government and the Alberta government to provide um, access to healthcare, to remove the barriers uh, for, for these undocumented workers and let everybody um, access you know, healthcare and support. You know? um, so th those are our current campaigns um, in, in Immigrante Alberta. And um, um, I'll stop there, uh, but also um, um, what can you do to support Migrante um, and, and the campaign? You know, um, um, you know your viewers can um, send a letter to um, uh, the health minister um, or send a letter to your MLA. Um, the link is there, you know, so if you go to our website. Um, there's a link there for AHS for All. Um, your organization also can write a letter of support uh, uh, to the health minister in support of the undocumented migrants um, to be able to access services, but also health care. Um, but also we have this um, public information campaign um, called the Shareable Selfie Project, where, you know, you could, it's fun, um, you know, you take a picture, um, send it to us, um, you know, send us a quote on why you support the Alberta Healthcare for All and, um, you know, title. Um, and use the hashtag anytime um, you, you post it. Uh, but also, most importantly, it's important that um, that you share the stories of migrant workers, you know, uh, not only the undocumented workers, but be able to learn more about them. Um, they are our neighbors. Um, they have the right to be here. Um, there's, you know, overuse quote that if they're good enough to work here, they're good enough to stay here. They're good enough to contribute to to the Canadian economy, and um, and uh, and and be part of our community because they are here now. They're living with us. Um, and you know, if you want to reach Migrante, um, we have an Instagram account. We have a, a Facebook account. Um, look for Migrante Alberta. You may also email you know um, our organization at Migrante. Uh, alberta at gmail.com thank you so much again for uh, inviting me here and um, i hope um, you uh, continue to support um, migrant workers thank you thank you very much that was uh, a very informative and powerful talk we have some questions in the um, in the chat for you and I'll go ahead and start sure. asking those. So the first one is from uh, Timothy at the Lethbridge Herald, our local newspaper here. Uh, workers in the meat plants are unionized. How strong is the union's ability to stand up to management when unsafe poli policies, like seen with COVID-19, does it offset some of the pressures of being indentured? Um. Uh, the union, um, and I've talked to uh, some of the uh, union representatives that was there uh, in order to collaborate. Uh, their union, UFCW Local 401, have been um, calling for the longest time to close the meat plant, to shut it down. Um, 
And uh, it, it took a long time before Cargill actually uh, shut it down for two, uh, two weeks. And um, the union felt it's really not enough um, to be able to, um, uh, to address the issue of COVID. Um, JBS plant, for example, haven't shut down yet. And the union have been calling uh, and calling for, um, you know, for, uh, for these companies to close. And, um, and I think the union have been doing a, a lot in terms of really putting some pressure um, uh, to the company and also have done, um, uh, uh, done so legally uh, in, in making sure that um, the, the workers that go inside are, uh, are, are, are safe. Um, uh, as I understood, the, the union also have uh, been supportive in ensuring that the, the workers in, um, in, in Cargill and JBS are, uh, uh, are able to get the CERB or the Canada Emergency Relief uh, Benefit, um, as well as uh, providing them support in, in um, applying for, um, you know, um, the uh, OHS, the um, Occupational Health and Safety, um, you know, um, uh, 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 complaint. Um, so uh, they have been trying their best. Uh, however, of course, um, you know, they, they're not able to, to close it down. Uh, they're not, uh, they will not uh, uh, be able to pull down, pull out the workers because it's deemed illegal. Um, so they're doing their best uh, legally uh, to, um, to mitigate the, the issue and ensure um, health and safety um, in, in their workplace. You know? um, um, Migrante have been doing uh, work with them in terms of filling the gaps uh, for those workers who's not able to get their money um, from CRB or or, or OHS um, uh, and provide them um, with you know groceries and things like that. You know some stopgap uh, measures. Sure, go ahead. There we go. Sorry, um, I'm actually going to skip the queue because I see that Timothy has a follow-up question. So I'm actually going to skip to his follow-up question and then go back to the queue. Mm -hmm. um, can temporary foreign workers legally strike in unionized environments? Um, if um, a temporary foreign worker is a member of a union, um, you know, um, they are part of the whole membership, you know, and, and of course, um, strikes only happen if the workers wanted to go on strike. Um, so uh, the union needed, um, you know, a, I guess, simple majority um, to ensure that um, uh, those workers wanted to go on strike. Um, um, so as a, a member of the union, temporary foreign workers is, uh, you know, it equalizes, you know, the playing field in terms of uh, their rights in the workplace. Um, and uh, many, many migrant workers are non-unionized, but for uh, for workplaces that are unionized and hire uh, migrant workers, they are definitely part of the union. Uh, they're part of the collective agreement, and whatever's in the collective agreement is uh, uh, can be availed by the uh, by a migrant worker. Lovely. Okay, our next question is from Knut Peterson. Are some temporary foreign workers recruited in the Philippines against their own will? 
I would say um, I would say no. Um, they, you know, although there are cases of trafficking, uh, there are cases of uh, mis uh, misrepresentation. Um, there there are many cases of um, uh, you know uh, having wrong um, uh, contract. You know, so for example, uh, a migrant worker will sign one contract, and uh, when they go to the country of destination. Uh, a different contract was, was signed, you know. Um, there are cases here in Canada where, you know, they would sign uh, something in the Philippines um, and when they come here, uh, they don't get the, the same amount of income that they should be getting uh, when they first sign. Um, um, so, you know, when we talk about forced, um, you know, it, it's really, um, uh, they, they're not dragged from the streets and go to work, uh, you know, forced to work. Um, they, you know, they were forced to go to leave the country because of their uh, socioeconomic conditions. But oftentimes when they go to countries of this destination, um, things are different. You know? Okay. On our next um, question, well, it's not so much as a question as it is a comment from Ted, Ted Mitsui. Uh, sounds so familiar. I saw the same system in South Africa until 1994. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you want to comment on that mm -hmm. or if you'd like me to go to uh, the next question. Yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, um, migrant labor um, is, you know, the way it's structured currently globally, you know, and, um, and, and in some cases, uh, the temporary foreign worker program as a, you know, modern day slavery, right? Um, it is a... Um, you know, it is, you know, it, they put uh, migrants into a situation where they cannot say no, you know, they because of, you know, again, it is the, you know, it is this structure where the um, the work permit is tied to one employer, right? So whatever the employer says, um, um, in order for a migrant worker to be able to stay in Canada, um, they are forced to do what they, you know, in, in some cases, of course, um, they cannot take it anymore. They leave. They file a complaint. Um, but for many uh, migrant workers um, who thinks about their family back home, um, who thinks about it, the income that they make for themselves, but also a chunk goes back home, um, uh, they think twice before they file a complaint. And, and oftentimes they endure this, um, this abuse. Laurie Schultz has the next question. Can the LMO, uh, the labor market opinion, and provincial TFW contracts be strengthened to prevent abuses? Um, yeah, LMO, um, it, there's a new uh, requirement now. It's called LMIA, so it replaced LMO, you know, the labor market impact assessment, they call it. Um, I, I think the, the whole LMO or LMIA uh, requirement is not needed. No, um, um, it's not needed by uh, you know because that that definitely ties uh, the, um, the the worker to their employer. Um, um, you know by providing um, these workers an open work permit. You know where they work, where they were hired to work, but when abuse happens, they can easily. Uh, move employers, you know, um, or or find another employer. At the moment, because there's an LMIA that's tying them to uh, their uh, uh, their employers, they cannot do that. No, so definitely there's there can be lots of improvement. But of course, in the end, 
you know, um, if Canada really says that there's a gap in the labor market, we, we need workers in farms, we need workers in, in fast food, then these are not temporary workers, you know, these are permanent jobs, right? So it's really important to, to look at that, that if they come here and they're filling the gaps of those uh, labor market, then uh, they should be coming, um, you know, as permanent residents, you know, and, and um, have equal rights like any other worker. Okay. Our next question is from um, Henning Mundo. How low are some of the salaries? Are the salaries from documented and undocumented workers different? Um, yes, you know, um, you know, the salaries of, uh, of documented, you know, those who have work permit, um, you know, um, depending on the work that they do, but the, the low skill, quote, the quote unquote low skill, low wage workers, they make the minimum wage, right, uh, on paper. So on paper, they make between uh, $15 in Alberta to uh, to $20 um, an hour. Um, and and then, you know, um, of course, there are cases where, you know, employer would would cut wages. Uh, depending on, on, on um, you know, what kind of work that they do um, for undocumented migrants is it, it, that's a problem, right? Uh, because no, no one regulates the 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 money that they uh, they make, um, uh, because they have no work permit. They you know they 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 receive cash, and um, there are oftentimes below minimum wage. There are cases where um, we hear um, or a migrant worker, undocumented migrant worker, would come to us and say, you know, they're getting paid seven dollars per hour. You know, they're getting paid nine dollars per hour. Right. So, um, uh, so employers really benefit from from these undocumented migrants. One because they're cheap labor, they're easily disposable as well. You know, um, um, they're they're threatened to to expose them if they if they complain. So um, many of them, you know, take the abuse and 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 get seven dollars an hour or nine dollars an hour. Um, this is still more than what they will make back home. Right. So. Um, so yes, there are uh, discrepancies between uh, the wage of undocumented migrant and and those that have work permits. Um, uh, but also, um, they are uh, even with those that are in um, in with work permit, um, it's really below um, living wage, right? Um, the wage that people need in order for survive, like any other working class Canadians, like any other working class Albertans. I think um, in order for us to be able to to really uh, develop our economy um, in Alberta is, is you know, um, all can, all Albertans, uh, regardless of their status, should, you know, should be getting a living wage, right? They should be shopping in Alberta. They should be, you know, um, you know, paying rent in Alberta, right? Um, with, with, with living wage salary. Okay. Our next question is from Laurie Schultz. Is an individual able to apply to become a temporary foreign worker without using a recruiter or broker in the country they are migrating from and Canada? They would, uh, how, sorry, how would they learn about available jobs independently? Um, uh, for Filipinos, for example, um, well, I think uh, in, in a broad strokes, uh, yes, they can. 
um, if they're in Canada. So they can, uh, you know, if they lose their job and, and trying to look for a new LMIA, they could definitely apply without, um, uh, you know, uh, hiring an immigration consultant or um, or a broker, right? Um, um, however, uh, in, in, in countries like the Philippines, and I, I think Mexico as well, um, in the Philippines, um, they make it a policy, you know, um, migration is a policy in a way that the government controls uh, uh, the 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 out migration, um, and they they do this through uh, creating bodies uh, that required them they required migrants to hire quote unquote uh, government um, government licensed recruiters, right? Um, so no migrant worker can leave the Philippines without going through. Uh, a recruiter. Um, there's this uh, policy called uh, no direct hiring policy. So, uh, for example, uh, a McDonald's here cannot just go to a community in the Philippines and hire individuals, right? They have to go through uh, an agency uh, back home. And, and that creates a, a, a systemic and systematic uh, flow of out migration, you know, um, while you know, the government, you know, makes money not only from the remittances, like I, I mentioned earlier, but also there, there are uh, fees that, that are required by these agencies uh, that migrants have to pay uh, to be able to, to leave the country. So, um, so there are uh, countries, you know, that, that, uh, that need uh, um, uh, brokers or, or agencies to be able to leave the country. Okay, our next question is from Bev Mundo. I thought the issue of being stuck with one employer was being addressed to avoid abuse. Who would work on this? Um, the immigration policy is a federal policy. Uh, you know, is is uh, taken care of um, by um, uh, Canada. You know, the federal government, um, the federal government uh, through its immigration uh, ministry. Uh, facilitates the the flow of migrants, and that includes, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, the work workers coming into Canada. They work in collaboration with the uh, the employment and uh, the employment ministry um, in order for uh, migrants uh, uh, to control uh, or to manage migrants coming into Canada. So um, uh, definitely, um, it it it's through. Uh, through those bodies that, that we, we need to lobby, we need to push for changes. Okay, and the next question is from Henning Mundell. Are undocumented migrant workers able to be members of unions? Um, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, um, undocumented migrants um, cannot work, quote unquote, legally, you know, um, because they have expired SIN. You know? So if you have expired SIN, um, you know, it, it, many employer will not hire you because it involves taxes, it involves uh, many things. Um, um, so an, an undocumented migrant worker uh, is, uh, cannot, cannot work. Um, uh, but they work, you know, uh, they do a lot of um, under the table jobs, you know, uh, jobs that um, are uh, deemed, um, 
uh, we call them 3D, you know, um, dirty, dangerous, and um, forgot the other D, but um, uh, demeaning, you know. Um, um, so a lot of them are, are in, in those kind of, of work. Um, so it, it's hard for uh, a union to organize undocumented migrants um, because of that, you know, or include them in the union. Um, however, there are uh, migrants are organizing themselves, you know, um, they have um, undocumented migrants are the most uh, creative people that I've ever met, you know, mm. the fact that they're living in Canada, in Alberta, um, uh, you know, not being seen, they have, um, they, you know, they have an apartment, you know, they work, they have families, there are many, many undocumented migrants that that uh, have children, Canadian-born children. As a matter of fact, you know, um, in the province of Alberta, uh, before 2017, child, Canadian-born children of undocumented migrants are not, uh, you know, cannot access health care. You know? So imagine that if you're born in Canada, but your mom seems to be an undocumented migrant, you cannot access health care. Only in 2017 that we lobby to include um uh, Canadian-born children to undocumented moms uh, access healthcare, but in the end they could still they cannot access uh, the federal benefits for a Canadian-born child as well. You know, just because their moms uh, they're punished because their moms are undocumented. So, um, so yeah, I mean those are the um, uh, the you know the situations of of uh, undocumented uh, workers. Um, Trevor Page, as an essential element of Canadian of Canada's economic well-being, how involved are our MLAs and MPs in defend, defending the basic human rights of temporary foreign workers? Oh, um, <laughs> that's a tricky question. Um, but you know, um, it, personally, you know. Um, Migrants cannot vote, period, right? Um, so um, when we talk to about MLAs, when we talk about MPs, uh, you know, they are, you know, they take care of people that vote. You know, if you can vote, you could be a voice of a migrant worker. Um, so definitely they, they would, they would definitely address, you know, um, concerns of migrant worker, um, many of which if they are being uh, lobbied or uh, by by organizations or by Canadians, you know, um, but, you know, the fact that migrants can vote, uh, cannot vote, um, it's it's hard for them to um, to uh, to voice out their concerns to uh, MLAs, to um, to MPs, you know, um, they are uh, always at the bottom of their files, right? Um, um, and from time to time, being used as a um, in, in campaign, right? Um, um, so I'm I'm a little um, skeptical, but on the other hand, um, as well, uh, we have uh, MLAs that that has been working with us um, and have been, um, you know, really campaigning uh, for the healthcare for all, for example, you know. Um, Many of the uh, opposition, uh, current opposition in the Alberta uh, legislature, um, have been supportive in the, uh, you know, healthcare for all, uh, and have uh, sent out a letter to the the current government uh, to include um, uh, everyone, regardless of their status, um, in the midst of the global pandemic, 
uh, healthcare. No, so I thought this really uh, a very good gesture uh, from from the um, from the NDP um, um, to uh, to push um, and ensure that all Albertans are safe, uh, not just the ones that are permanent residents or citizens, but uh, more so those that cannot access healthcare. No? Okay, our next question is from Laurie Schultz. In Alberta, there was a Labor Standards TFW inspection unit. Under the current government, has the dedicated TFW and OHS inspection unit changed, or does it still exist? Um, well, uh, even before, you know, um, uh, there was uh, the uh, that inspection unit. Um, um, there are some issues with that with that unit. Um, it, it is a uh, uh, it, it is a body uh, that was designated by the, the government. However, um, it just does not have a machinery to do inspections. You know, um, um, and, and um, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, um, uh, caregivers, for example, um, the caregivers, um, domestic workers, are and home or home workers are uh, defined as workers under the uh, employment standards of Alberta. However, uh, homes where they work are not considered workplace, right? It's a private uh, place where, you know, um, you know, a, a, a government body cannot just walk in and, and inspect, right? Um, uh, we have a complaint-based system where um, a, uh, a migrant worker needs to complain before inspection happens, right? Um, and that's a problem. And I, I mentioned that earlier that uh, not many migrant worker will complain because of the current structure of the temporary foreign worker program. It is uh, uh, employer dependent. Um, so migrant worker will not complain, you know, and, and our system, current system um, is a complaint based system. Um, so if no one complains, no inspection will happen. Right? Um, and and uh, and the fact that uh, and that's a fact because um, not many um, uh, not many uh, complaints has happened in, in, in the last years uh, until an actual organization or or uh, somebody else complained you know, uh, for the migrant worker. Okay, I have a question from Beth Mundell. I've heard of some employers who sell food to workers putting them into a never-ending cycle of debt to their employer. Your comments, please. Um, yes, you know, um, many, of course, when migrant worker comes here, uh, many of them are first-timers, um, uh, not knowing Canada. Um, uh, and, and part of the contract that I was talking about earlier, the, uh, the quote-unquote other contract, right, aside from what they what they signed and many of the contracts that they signed back home uh, or the countries of origin, um, for example, includes housing, includes board and lodging. Uh, but when they come to Canada, um, um, they suddenly charge or they were forced to uh, to live in uh, in in their employers um, uh, home rentals. You know? So during the, the boom of, of, um, of the oil, uh, of course, there's uh, the the hype also of the uh, the the influx of the temporary foreign workers coming to Canada, and many many employers have bought bought several homes. You know, um, while we have a housing crisis, these employers have bought several homes where they rent out to to the migrants. You know, um, 
Um, there's also um, cases where migrants are uh, picked up and brought to the to, you know to the workplace and and they pay those travel expenses right um, so the employer really makes a killing out of out of a, a migrant worker right um, and uh, in those homes um, we hear stories that they're packed there you know there's two people in one room um, and, and they're re- renting you know up to six hundred dollars per bed um, uh, bed space. Um, so there are those stories. Um, it, it's not new. Um, it, it has been um, a scheme uh, by many employers um, since the uh, you know the the boom of the uh, migrant workers coming in Alberta. It's not just the food that they pay for uh, rent as well, and and from time to time they uh, they pay travel uh, to their employer. Right, I think Laurie Schultz's question, or follow-up question, or, or it seems to be a follow-up question to uh, Bev's, are there problems with employers making unauthorized deductions for flights, accommodations, or fees that the employer may have paid to bring the temporary foreign worker to Canada? Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a common, it's a common um, issue. Um, uh, like I said, many of the contracts that was offered to migrant workers prior to coming to Canada includes travel, and and those that that's the law, right? That's part of the uh, the temporary foreign worker program contract. Uh, but oftentimes, when they come to uh, to their employers' uh, home or uh, their caregivers, or uh, they start working in the employer, this you know employers start de- deducting their salary, you know, for the uh, amount of money. Uh, that they have uh, paid to, for a migrant worker. You no, know? so that includes, um, you know, the uh, the money that they pay uh, the the broker or the recruiter, uh, the money that they pay the the lawyer, uh, the money that they paid, um, you know, um, plane fare, airfare. Um, it becomes a, a salary deduction, you know, uh, for for these migrants. And many of these migrants don't know. You know, they thought it's normal. They thought it's. Uh, um, you know, it's something that they needed to pay um, um, until, you know, of course, you know, when someone told, told them that, you know, that's part of your contract. They shouldn't be charging that. But again, I'm going to go back to the LMIA or the uh, the employer-specific um, uh, structure of the Temporary Foreign Worker Program is that, you know, they would just, you know, you know swallow the bitter pill and, and say, you know, like, it's okay. You know, I'll I'll make that money, right? Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, our next question is from David Major. How many undocumented workers are there? Oh, uh, that's those are the questions that uh, many many people ask. The media ask. Um, you know, uh, government official ask and. It's hard to get. Uh, those numbers are hard to get. Um, um, however, though, um, there are published reports, um, researched uh, based on the numbers given by uh, settlement services and, and things like that, that in 2012, there are approximately um, 500,000 um, undocumented migrants across Canada. And in the province of Alberta al- alone, it's uh, estimated to about 25 to 70,000 undocumented migrants uh, in Alberta, and it's growing. You know, it's a growing population. 
um, in Alberta. Um, during the time uh, when we uh, campaigned the city of Edmonton uh, to make the city a, um, a an access without fear city or a sanctuary city, um, you know, um, we're, we're trying to get those numbers and we're being asked by those numbers on how many undocumented uh, migrants in Edmonton. And um, it, it, we said that one, it doesn't really matter. One un undocumented migrant is an important undocumented migrant, right? Um, and, um, you know, the city could, could help support the, those undocumented migrants by, by uh, providing a safe space, you know, providing the city to become safe for, for all Albertans regarding, or, or all Edmontonians regarding uh, uh, of their status. And, and we got that, I think, that status uh, in October of 2017 or 2018, um, that Edmonton now is a uh, so-called access without fear city. It does not mean much, but it, it, it's a good start. Okay, we have a question from Kenneth Peterson regarding healthcare. Have you heard of people being review, re, being refused such during COVID nineteen? So being refused health care. Um, uh, being uh, uh, during COVID nineteen, there was a uh, a memo or uh, that um, ev everyone can um, access testing uh, and everyone can be um, uh, sort sort of cured or uh, he or they can go to a a doctor um, in times of COVID. Um, the problem with that, though, is that it, it, there's no public announcement uh, for those for the public that they they can actually do that um, without fearing of their status, we, without fearing of getting uh, you know being reported to the CBSA or to the immigration. Uh, on the other hand, there's also no clear policy to uh, healthcare providers that. Um, that uh, you know they can accept you know uh, those that do not have uh, the Alberta health card, you know? So uh, even even um, you know they have this um, document that says you know everyone can um, can access you know healthcare in times of COVID. Uh, there was no um, no uh, policy uh, that that announced that. Um, secondly. Um, uh, for those undocumented worker uh, that do not have COVID, um, um, they still cannot access healthcare, right? Um, um, and um, you know, um, even before COVID, for example, there are a couple of uh, undocumented mothers, you know, that gave birth uh, to, you know, they were not refused, uh, you know, because it's their right, you know, um, so they give birth, but. Um, uh, hospitals start charging them, you know, uh, up to ten thousand dollars, you know, just to uh, giving birth, um, and you know, it's the mom's right, you know, it's their reproductive right to give birth, and um, and now there there uh, there are collection agencies that's going after them, um, you know, uh, charging them, you know, this 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 money with interest. So. Um, so regardless of COVID or not, um, they, they cannot access, you know, um, um, healthcare. Okay, we have a question from Henning. Uh, do the majority of employers bend the rules or is that just an exception? Um, I, many employers does, you know, from time to time. And, and we know that um, even with, um, 
you know, are, are Canadian workers, right? Like the low, low wage um, workers with status. They always try to bend the rules to, uh, but more so with, um, with, with, um, with migrant workers, with undocumented migrants. Um, of course, I'm not saying all of them. Um, there are employers also that's very supportive. There are employers that actually offer uh, migrant workers um, um, support um, and, you know, um, sponsor them to become permanent resident. Um, but uh, many of the cases that we get, uh, employers uh, are are really trying to make the most out of their uh, quote-unquote investment, right, um, uh, which is a migrant worker. Um, uh but but we we get also calls from from employers um, saying that um, you know how can they support the migrant worker? Um, so um, so yeah, I mean there, there are there are uh, uh, employers that actually um, um, uh, violate the, 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 the their contract, but there are employers that that actually support the workers. Okay, this is our last question comes from Laurie Schultz. What one change? Could be made to improve the situation. Well, I, I think, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, at, at the maximum, um, it's really important to look at the temporary foreign worker program. Uh, the temporary foreign worker program uh, is is. Uh, we find it's, it's legalized trafficking, right? Um, I think it's important to look at that in a way that if we, if there's real gaps in the labor market, if there's real numbers that 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 we need in Canada to work in in our industries, they should be given permanent residence upon arrival, right? Uh, they don't need to um, to become temporary because this this work is not temporary. You know, fixing my computer is temporary, right? But uh, working in McDonald's is not temporary. Um, but at the at the short term, I think um, those who are already here in Canada um, uh, can uh, can can be provided with an open work permit. You know, uh, where they they could legally work. They could also be able to. Um, you know, transfer employers uh, when they face abuse. You know, um, so I think there are there are many ways that we can do that. If there's really a political will uh, from our governments in all levels of government uh, to support migrant workers and to support our economy and and um, and generate you know um, a, a really healthy workforce is is to uh, make it equal for everybody. Thank you. Yes. So. We have Knut Peterson, um, Laurie Schultz, and Beth Mandel all thanking you. Thanking you for taking the time to present to SACPA um, and for your presentation. Um, I think this is. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, this is the ending of our session. So I also want to echo our thanks. Our SACPA really appreciates your time. And um, I'm going to sign off now. Um, if you want to, do you have a last comment before I sign off? Um, th thank you so much for inviting me here. Um, you know, it's always a good opportunity to to talk to to people and and tell the story of a migrant worker. Many many of our uh, fellow Albertans, fellow Canadians, do not know the, their their life story, and and uh, this is a really good opportunity. And thank you so much for inviting me. Okay. We'll sign off and we'll see everybody next week.